Yeah, it was fun. You down? We have two apple trees, and you don't want the raccoons to eat all your apples. So we put two live traps out, and we caught one. So you ate a raccoon. No, no. Wow. You cooked it, Nelda. You are a, your next level country now. Too greasy? How about a possum? Who's ever eaten a possum? No, okay, good, because I was going to tell you to leave. <laughs> I know. I'm eating alligator. Okay, we're going to get started this morning. We've got a lot of territory to cover, and everybody can get out your smartphones and be ready. I forgot my phone this morning, so if I have to look up a scripture, I'm going to need you all to do some. This is going to be um, current sword drills, right, where you just Google a scripture, and then there it is. You, you look it up. So that's how we'll do it today because, I mean, I have my real Bible here. I don't even know how to use this thing anymore. And I've been reading the Messianic Jewish Family Bible, and so it's not laid out in the same order as our Bible. I, I have to use the concordance in this to find a book. It's like history, the prophets, and it's laid out, <clears throat> excuse me, totally different. So as we get started this morning, we'll open up in prayer. And um, if you have a prayer request, just raise your hand. Yes, I wasn't going to take them, but go ahead, since you're important. Okay, well, yeah, let's pray for the residents of Colonial Lodge. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, we need to remember the DeGarzo family. For those of you who don't know or who knew Joe DeGarzo, he died suddenly on Wednesday night. He had had hip replacement surgery and just um, passed away very quickly. So, anybody else today? Okay. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord God, that you would uh, anoint your word, Lord God, that... Our hearts will be prepared to receive it as, as seed goes forth into good ground and brings forth much fruit. I ask, Lord God, that you would move in our service today, that you would have a special blessing over all of our fathers and our men, Lord God, that they would be encouraged today and they would be lifted up and strengthened. I pray, Lord God, for the DeGarzo family, for Faye and, the, and Joe's sons, Lord, that you would comfort this family and the grandsons and granddaughters. Lord, we pray, Father, for the residents of Colonial Lodge, that you would protect them, that you would heal and strengthen them. And we just come against the coronavirus with the blood of Jesus and ask, Lord God, that you would bring an end to this pandemic, Lord God, and that all the all the the hysteria and the fear that's surrounding it, Lord God, that it would just be done away with, Lord. We thank you for it, God, knowing that you're not the author of confusion, Lord God. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to get started today, and we're going to continue to talk about the church. And now, I want us to go to, I think I'm going to go to John 5. A little bit today. Like I said, I forgot my phone, so all my scriptures are laid out there, but I have my grandbabies at the house, and you know how that is. Everything. I mean, it's just toys and milk bottles, and so I, you know, I had to sneak in. My office becomes the bedroom, so I was sneaking in there to get my stuff out, so there's just no telling what will happen today. So as we get started, I was um, listening to a person online, a podcast, a woman I'd never heard before. I can't even call her name. She's from Great Britain. And she was talking about the, the scripture that we are covering about upon this rock, I will build my church. Who knows where that's at? I used to know. I don't have it in my notes. It's either Matthew 15 or is it Matthew 18? It's one of those. But you know where he tells Peter. The conversation is, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. And who knows the rest of it? Very classic. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, as I was listening to that, I heard this woman make a reference to the gates of hell, and so I began studying that. And I looked, and that conversation happened with Jesus and Peter and the other disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. How many of y'all have heard that in the, in the Bible? Caesarea, some people call it. Some people call it Caesarea Philippi. It was a place, and it was a very historic area where there was water, a natural spring, as we would know it, that came, that gushed forth in that place. And you know, how many of you have ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas? It comes out hot. The water, you can't even touch it because it's so hot. I mean, you have to build yourself up to putting your foot in the little pool. And that's after it comes out of the mountain and comes down and cools a little bit. So it's very hot. Well, there was something like that there as well. 
and it was a phenomenon, especially in that day, and it was called, it originally had been called Baal, Baal something, and I can't remember it, what the name of it was called. You can look it up. And it was, it was dedicated to Baal, every time you see that. And then, later on, Philip II, or Philip the Tetrarch, as you know him, he was the one who... Um, Salome danced before him, and he beheaded John the Baptist as payment. So that's Philip the Tetrarch. Well, he renamed that area Caesarea after the Roman Empire, and of course after himself, Philippi. So it's, it means Philip. So he named it that, and this area then, where this hot spring bubbled out of the rock, it was known historically as the Gates of Hell. Isn't that interesting? And so that's why he said that. So sometimes, you know, we have these ideas, and we just sort of go, we just sort of add other things to them and invent our own narrative. But whenever, whenever Jesus said that to Peter, put that in context, he said, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that Greek word there is ekklesia. And it just means a governing body. Now, this wasn't a new word to them. This was a word that they were very familiar with. They were, so when he said, upon this rock... I will build my ecclesia. Think senate or parliament. Now, if you were listening to that in that day, what would you think Jesus was saying to you? If we said, Stacy, and Jesus said, upon this foundation, I'm going to put my government in place, a governing body in place. Would y'all not think that he was coming to reestablish a governmental system on earth, wouldn't you? So they were, he they were hearing that, and what they were hearing was, he's doing it. He's going to get rid of Rome. Yeah, of course. The Republicans are going to stay in office. We're very much the same way. We are looking for some governmental, natural governmental system to fix our problem. They were no different. If Donald Trump gets elected or not elected this next term, we will still need the church. <laughs> yes, I'm saying. <laughs> See, or if Joe Biden gets elected, we will still need the church. See, we can't get, we can't get caught up as the church in political positioning and in and getting under a certain banner. Do you know, I believe this, Judas Iscariot, how many of you know who he was? Not a success story, right? I believe that he was, and he, history will tell us this, he was a zealot. Do you know what a zealot was? A zealot was a person, he was, he was a nationalist. He was Israel, team Israel, team Israel. Stick it to the Romans by hook or by crook. Let's get this done. He was a, he was ready to do whatever it took to take down the wicked Roman government. Now, would we, call, I mean, Rome was wicked. Wicked. Do a little studying of the um, Roman emperors. Most of them were married to small boys. They were pedophiles. It's just true. That's just, I mean, think about that going on. There were such satanic, gross things that went on in the Roman Empire. So we have Judas here. He comes forward and he hates Rome and he wants with everything in him to get rid of Rome. What, what might we call him? A zealot. A zealot, but what else might we call him? A friend. So we've got to be careful there. I mean... The end justifies the means, right? See, we have to be really, 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 really careful there. See, if, now Jesus brought new, Jesus always knew who, who Judas was. Always. And so here he is, he's this zealot, and he wants, and he sees Jesus, and why does he follow Jesus? Do what? He he thinks he's going to do what he wants. This is a guy who's, who's, who's fulfilling his ideology. They're on the same team. I mean, me and Randall could be on the same team, and we could have complementing ideology. 
But at some point, if my ideology is more important than my relationship with Randall, then I'm going to choose what over Randall? My ideology. No, that's just... So see here, now we have Judas. He had, and so when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, you know what I believe he was trying to do? Force Jesus' hand. He was there when the loaves were divided. He was there when Jesus spoke to the sea. He was there in every miracle. He saw the dead raised. He saw the incredible things. He knew this man had the power to crush Rome. He saw it. He, was, he had no doubt this man had the power to crush Rome. He said, well, he was a thief. It said he wasn't. He was. You would be amazed at how many people can justify their thievery if they feel like they're doing something good with it. You would be amazed at how many very holy people will steal if they feel like it's going for a good cause. We esteem Robin Hood as a hero. Well, of course, but it's okay as long as you don't happen to be the rich that day. You would be amazed at how that line of wealth can, can just step down with society. And where you used to be the poor, all of a sudden you can be the rich. So that's what's problematic with that. So we have here this whole context, and here Jesus is saying, back to my point, and the gates of hell upon this rock... Peter, upon this revelation that I am the chosen one. Imagine if you're a zealot, if you're a patriot, you're hearing, you're going to crush Rome. And they're like, cool. We know they thought that. What did the two sons of thunder ask of Jesus? They even sent their mama to do it. Let me sit on your right and your left when you come in your kingdom. Humans are funny creatures. We are dumb and don't know it. How many have ever discovered that about yourself? Thought you were so smart, only to discover you were dumb all along. And you never knew it, which made you feel even dumber. Because the whole time you were being dumb, you thought you were smart. Is that just me? That's <laughs> we all find ourselves there, don't we? See, Jesus didn't address those things. He didn't. He knew. He was not talking about a natural kingdom. But what he was talking about was a spiritual kingdom, a church, a governing body that would have power on earth. He was coming to do something that the world did not understand because the world didn't have the comprehension to know where they had gotten off. Jesus was coming as the second Adam. And he was coming to establish a new race of people. He was coming to establish a new civilization that was, neither, that was neither Israeli or Roman or Jew or Greek or American or Hispanic or black or white. He was coming to start a kingdom that we would be one in one body and we would be connected to the head and that we would accomplish things regardless if Rome was ruling or if who came in after Rome who destroyed the Roman I need some help history majors after Rome was destroyed who ruled I don't even know I should know this right then Rome was done away. I mean, the Roman Empire stretched throughout the entire known world. Where's Rome today? How many y'all went to Italy? Did you go to Rome? Were you impressed with its grandeur? You were impressed by uh, the time past, right? That was the empire that spread throughout the whole world. It is about this big now. There's nothing to Rome anymore. There's nothing to Rome. But guess what still remains? The kingdom of God, the church, the church is still here. It's gone through, it's gone through all of the persecution and waxed strong. It has gone through racial wars. It's gone through slavery. It has gone through everything. Sometimes it's done well and sometimes it's done pitifully poor. But the church that I'm talking about is what has been 
inaugurated by the blood of Christ and is the very body of Christ. Not everybody who calls themselves the church is the church. But when we look at ourselves as a church, we need to make sure that we as the governing body, what government, what are we trying to bring forth to earth? Republican? Democrat? Socialist? Communist? We have to, the kingdom, we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves as patriots and zealots. And not church. This is, this, is, this is the world we're living in today. I will tell you this. Every civilization has been bettered by the church, whether they like the church or not. The world is a better place because the church is here. Whether you're an atheist, whether you're an agnostic, or whether you're a person who is nominally a Christian but you never go to church. The, church, the world is better because of the church. This governing body, this ecclesia. So when you say, what is your agenda? Christ, him crucified and resurrected. No matter what happens, do you realize we could be in the next 10 years a socialistic nation? God forbid, right? Socialism is the, the gateway drug to what? Communism. It may happen. I'm reading this man right here, Watchman Nee. I'm on a Watchman Nee kick. I've read, I've got, I've listened to his audio books. I have got every book. I've become fascinated with him and his life. Before the communist takeover in China, Watchman Nee planted 200 churches. He sowed the seeds. He saw communism coming. He didn't pick up torches and burn buildings. He planted seeds. He taught pastors to memorize chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters of the Bible because he said they're coming to take a Bible. They can't take what's been planted in your heart. I wonder how many of us, if they took away all your Bibles and your access, would even have how much scripture memory do you do? See this, and then the last 20 years of his life, you know where he spent them? In a communist concentration camp where he died. Wait. I, I thought we were about the prosperity gospel. He must not have had much faith. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. As we look at this, we talk about the church. We are, if you're a part of the church, I'm not talking about Crossroads Assembly of God or the Assemblies of God or the Methodists or the Baptists or any nominal affiliation. I am talking about the church, the body of Christ. If you are a part of the church, you are a part of the ecclesia. You are a part of the governing authority on this earth that whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven Jesus came so why did he come just to get people to go to heaven that was the smallest part of why he came God could have repopulated heaven he could have annihilated the earth and brought up another group of people try it again plan B God sent Jesus to inaugurate the way whereby we could return to relationship with the Father. As, as we go to John 5, our positional authority in the kingdom of God is laid out for us by our older brother, Jesus. And I can find John. Acts, Romans. This was so much easier on my phone, y'all. Uh-oh. here. Ah, there it is. My Baptist sword drills are failing me. Okay, John 5. You probably know this chapter well. The man at the pool of Bethesda, he healed him. And um, I want to go beyond that. It says, 
Let's, let's, let's start reading in John 5, 16. Here is what he has called you to be. This is you. Jesus becomes our first, just like Adam was our representative for the fall, and he became because we all fell in Adam. How did we all fall in Adam? How many of you agree we were all in Adam when he fell? So we all fell in Adam. Because if Adam would have died on the day he ate, who would have died with him? Every single one of us would have died with him. If your great, 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 great grandfather would have died at birth, you know who would have died with him? You and your children. Your line. That's how it works. So when we look at that, and you're talking about an eternal God, he's looking in Adam and he sees, he sees you. And he sees you, and he sees you. Because if Adam had ceased to exist on earth, we all died with him. Don't you see how we just got related to one another very closely? We fight among each other, and we all came from exactly the same source. So, as we look here, let's, let's begin reading. So Jesus becomes the second Adam, and who is potentially in him? You. See, you have to be, let's go John 3. Let's talk about it, Nicodemus. You must be born of what? Water. What's that water? Do you believe? I believe it's the womb. I believe it's a natural birth. Following the hermeneutic on that scripture. Yeah, but first, you, the only, how did you get into this earth, Dolores? Did the stork drop, drop you? Were you created in a scientific lab? Are you a synth? No. <laughs> So all of us, all of us came by virtue of someone's womb, right? You were all born naturally. See, gosh, we're just getting closer and related all the time. We were exactly the same. We first had a natural birth, and that's where you picked up all your good-looking features. You did, from that gene pool that's closest to you. Now, you can pick up some stuff beyond that gene pool from ancestors far back, but we don't get to see them, do we? Because they're not around anymore. But you'll say, I have my mother's nose or my mother's toes or, you know, this is how my hair grows. You know what I'm saying? We come from where we came from, and we're like them. So as we look at this, now what's happening is Jesus tells Nicodemus, here's the deal, Nicodemus, you've been born naturally, but you haven't been born supernaturally. You have your connection to Adam the first, but you don't have your connection to Adam the second. That is a spiritual birth, and that way hasn't been made yet, essentially, when he's having that conversation with Nicodemus, but I'm going to make the way for you. And then you're going to be born supernaturally into another progenitor where you were once connected to sin and of earth and of natural things, and you were under all the powers of the world. But now I'm going to create another way because God was never satisfied to have children who are disenfranchised from him in a giant dysfunctional family. But here's what he wanted. John 5 and 16. Because Yeshua... Now, this is my Jewish Bible, so y'all bear with me. Because Yeshua was doing these things on Shabbat, or the Sabbath, the Judean leaders started persecuting him. But Yeshua said to them, My father... Who's, who's, who's father? Jesus says, My father is still working, and I also am working. So, what is Jesus doing? The work of the he sees the father working and he's working the same way, so he's still working and I'm doing the work he's doing. For this reason, the Judea's leader, the Judean leaders, kept trying him even harder to kill him because he was not only breaking Sabbath in their mind, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now wait a second. Therefore, Yeshua answered them, Amen and amen, I tell you, the Son cannot do anything by himself. How do you do your work? Do you do it by yourself? How did Jesus do his work? He said he didn't do it by himself. He said Yeshua cannot do anything of himself. He can only do what he sees 
the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and allows him everything in Um, shows him everything he does. He will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wants. The Father does not judge anyone but has handed over all judgment to the Son. Why do we think that judgment is wrong in the house of God? Judgment there, see, we've we've clouded what judgment is. Judgment is judging according to truth. That is the job of the church. To judge, that's part. What if you went to a judge wearing a black robe and you asked him to make a decision and the idiot looked at you and said, yo, dude, I just don't want to judge anybody. You brought your case to him and you're asking him to decide between you and another party and he gives you the peace, love, and joy answer and says, you know, I just don't want to judge. What would you say to him? Then get out of the position of a judge. Now see, the problem is with the church that if we're not born of spirit... And we're not judging spiritually, but we're judging carnally. Then we become very, 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 very dangerous indeed. Because we judge according to our sight and we judge according to our thought. And that is why, because the church has become so carnal, in my opinion, we no longer behave like the church. We behave like some sort of a community of gatherers, much like a country club where we dictate by committee and not commission. Because our lives are so engrossed in self and so devoid of the spirit that you, if you put us beside an alcoholic and didn't put a bottle in front of both of us, you might not be able to tell who was who. You see what I'm saying? See, we are... Jesus said, I came... I do what I see the Father doing. I say what I hear the Father saying. I go where the Father tells me to go. He wasn't led by other people's agendas because he only did what the Father showed him. You know why? Because he had an uninterrupted relationship with the Father via the Spirit, because Jesus had not, he had the Spirit of God operating in him. He was baptized in the River Jordan, and the heavens opened up, right? And what happened? And the Spirit of God descended upon him as a dove, and then it says something after that that we often miss, and the Spirit remained. This was a different activity of the Holy Spirit than had ever been seen even throughout the Old Testament. Prophets were anointed. Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. They operated in an office and they stepped into the anointing and they operated. Jesus lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's Jesus. How are we called to live? Under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we come. Jesus came. The church is built. Sonship is about position. Where are you seated according to um, Ephesians? In heavenly places. With who? In Christ Jesus. He's the son who does what the father says. How many of you, how many of us are sons who do what the father says? How many of us would be so bold as to say, I do what I see the Father doing. I say what I hear the Father saying. I go where I see the Father going. Or is church just something you go to on Sunday when you don't have to miss? So we've got to change how we see the church. We are the church. We are sons in service. This is not about gender. This is about position. But then secondarily, we take Genesis 2, which is where God created who? The best of the best. 
Who did he create? Woman! Uh, that's too much of a laugh, Keith. He, he, he did what to Adam? He put him to sleep. He took a rib. He took bone of his bone. He took flesh of his flesh. You know what he took? He took nature. He took a part out of him, and he put it in a woman. And he said, she will help She's the perfect counterpart to what you, Adam, are called to accomplish on earth. But they fail. And who fell with them? We've already covered this. You're all in those. That womb, Eve's womb, is where you ultimately came from. So we look at that, but then we take Ephesians is it five or six where he says, I, Behold, I show you a mystery, and I speak of Christ in the church. I believe that's Ephesians 5. Now, Jesus, he's our, remember, he's the second Adam, right? What happened to Jesus? Did he go to sleep? Come on, think about it. New Testament doctrine. Behold, that's why some of you are sick and some of you sleep. Concerning those who sleep, don't be afraid. What does the term sleep mean in the New Testament? Dead. They're dead. Jesus says, don't weep over the damsel, the maid. She is not dead. She only sleepeth. Sleeping or Lazarus. Jesus said, Lazarus is sick. He's asleep. Well, if he's asleep, Jesus, he'd be fine. Let's stay here. Jesus finally had turned to him and go, He's dead. Oh, that kind of sleep. It's kind of euphemistic, isn't it? So we look at that. So Jesus, what did he do on the cross? Did he die? Did he go to sleep? See, we're using the same terms there. When they laid him in a tomb, he was what? He was asleep. He wasn't dead. Death had, couldn't hold him. See, it's a New Testament euphemism because death is so final. Jesus didn't even use those words. He, he's asleep. But upon this rock, what's getting built? Oh, what is the church? Kind of like Eve? Behold, I show you a mystery. But I speak of Christ and his church. What is, I'm going to wrap up here. What is, not wrap up, I'm going to wrap up this. I'm still going a long time. What is, what is the church according to Revelation 21, 20, 20, 22? I don't know, somewhere 19? What? The bride of Christ. So when Jesus went to sleep, when he what did he build by the Spirit of God that day? He built a bride. So positionally, you are a son. But for all, what is the word I wanted? I had it this morning, but okay, babies have taken it out of my brain. Positionally, you are a son. But when you give something, you make, provisionally, gosh, I feel like I'm playing charades with my own brain. What did I just say? I lost it again. Thank God. Provisionally, positionally you're a son. Provisionally, you are a... As the church, you're seated with Jesus positionally as a son, a right-hand governing son. When Jesus said, how do we pray? He said, let's just get wild. Our Father, not my Father, not some Father, not a Father, our. Do you know how avant-garde that was? They wanted to stone Jesus for doing what? We just read it in John 5. Making himself the Son of God. And because when you make yourself the Son of God, Belinda, what do you make yourself with God? Equal. Now don't get it twisted. You're not some God here. But when you step in that position of the Son and you say, I bind that in the name of Jesus. 
It is bound. When you loose in the name of Jesus, it is loose. Where any two, any two agree on earth. This is not just agreement like, me and you can agree on any number of things. But if we're not both walking in the spirit, we're not in agreement at all. Verbal agreement is not the same as spiritual agreement. And that's where we've got it wrong. We've reduced stuff to formulas saying, well, we agreed. Me and Randall nodded our head twice the same direction. And we can be in as much disagreement as chalk and cheese. That's disagreement, isn't it? So we have to understand, you're not people destined for heaven, living your own life here. You are positionally sons of God to do the work of God as the ecclesia. And you are, what's the word? Provisionally, gosh, I've got a brain block there. You are provisionally the bride of Christ, formed when he went to sleep. And when he woke up, he had a wife. That may be a little deep for some of y'all. That's why Paul said, I want to teach you this, but y'all just won't get it. I figure enough years have passed that y'all would get it. If I can be a son, Lance, you can be a wife. See, it's not about gender. It is about position and provision. When the day of Pentecost was come, there's something a groom did when he found his wife. He had to go back and get the father's permission, his consent, and he had to prepare a home for his wife. But no self-respecting honorable groom would ever leave his bride unprovided for. So he said, I want my church, my bride, to be perfectly outfitted. So I'm going to need you to go to Jerusalem and wait until provision comes. And after that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you see the same word again, and cloven tongues as a fire set on each of them. And the implication is it remained. Hebrews 11 tells us that there are better promises for us. We have been provisionally made the bride because now not only have we been born naturally, but we have been born supernaturally. As Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind carries people, carries things. The spirit, the ruach, the breath, the wind carries us. You know what you can do now as the perfectly, provisionally outfitted bride of Christ formed because Jesus went to sleep and he got up is that you can now put down your oars of effort. You can raise the sail and let the ruach, the wind, fill your sail and carry you where you need to go. Instead of always trying to flesh it out. How many of y'all have ever used that term? I'm just trying to flesh it out. See, as the bride of Christ, we're called just to be the cell by which the Spirit of God inhabits and animates and carries. See, no one can see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. How many of you, after the wind came in your life, people could see the effects they should have been able to. And it's carried along. How many of your walk changed when the Spirit filled you? How many of your talk changed when the Spirit filled you? You see what I'm saying? We have so sadly settled for zero provision and zero position 
and we've turned prayer of agreement and binding and loosing into trying to get an unwilling God into the uncle position where we have held him by his word and he's like a Pez dispenser that has to shoot the candy out. You see what I'm saying? That where we, we don't see our job as the church as being ones who actually walk in the spirit. How do we see the Father? You're not going to see the Father unless it's by spirit. Can somebody help me with a hermeneutical scriptural reference to prove that? You'll find it in John 4. For the Father is a spirit. And you must worship him in spirit. And there's no other truth other than in spirit communion. So Jesus, we were dead spiritually in Adam, right? You know what it means to be dead from something? You cease to communicate with that environment. Man lost his ability to hear from God, to see God, to walk with God, because he no longer, it's not because God, you know, got his feelings hurt, and he just didn't want to be around sinful men anymore. <laughs> we often make God out to be this petulant child who's given to fierce mood swings and anger outbursts. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might, shall not perish but have life everlasting. John 1, 12, for all who believe him, to all who receive his name, to them he gave the what? Power. To become what, Randall? He gave us power to become the sons of God. It goes on to say, who are born not after the will of flesh. Do you know that you were all born after the will of flesh? You were. You might, your parents might tell you you're an accident, but biology got involved somewhere. It was the will of flesh that you were born. You didn't know the Bible was so racy, did you? That's what it's talking about there. Who were born, who were not born after the will of flesh, but were born after the what? The will of God. Does God want you to positionally be a son? Do you have to beg him? He's not the disappointed God. His wrath was settled by himself. As he poured out his wrath upon his son who willingly received the wrath of God. That we might become the hostility between us and God because our sin had separated us as far as God as you could possibly be because he is so holy. He is so other than sin. And we were so incompatible with his holiness he made way by virtue of Christ as, as just like God provided Eve for the first Adam. Jesus laid and he slept and the church was born. And he told Peter that prophetically upon this rock. I love to think about Jesus laying on a rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the very, you thought I forgot about the gates of hell. I did actually, but now the Spirit's helping me. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. She will be a glorious church. We are provided for not having a spot nor a wrinkle. I do not have a spot or a wrinkle. You say, well, Andrea, you're sure confident in yourself. No. That's how good the blood of Jesus is. When he made me his bride, he made me in perfect union. And he went and he sent back the provision of the Holy Spirit. And one day, he's going to come back and we're going to celebrate the consummation of that wedding. Where? At a marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the new Jerusalem will come down as what? A bride 
prepared for her husband. It's not the same kind of husband-wife relationship that we earthlings know. It is a it is a perfect union of Jesus and his church. And we are a city, we are a bride, we are a people. And so when we pray, Jesus gives the example. You know, we read it. When a brother, we're closing. Nope, I'm going to go to gates of hell. The gates of hell. That had had many name changes. So when Jesus was talking about that, he was saying the very place where hell emanates on the earth, the very entrance of hell on the earth will not prevail against my church. Now, I want you just to, I want you just to put your thinking caps on. Where is the place that hell leaks out on the earth? What? Um, specifically, exactly, but what is the very specific in our lower, carnal, sinful nature. See, the church has a gate, and hell has a gate. Church's gate is the house of God. You know the story. Jacob laid his head on a pillow, and a, and a ladder appeared, and what were angels doing? They were moving from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth. What do you think they were doing? They were getting stuff done. They were taking, they were supporting messengers, because that's what angels are, right? They're just here to support the messengers of God. We got any messengers of God in the house? Well, there's angels all around, just waiting on an assignment, but they're not waiting on a fleshly assignment, because they don't have nothing to do with that, and they're waiting on an assignment, and Jesus, when he called Nathaniel, he said, he said, you're impressed that I said I saw you under a fig tree? No. He said, from henceforth, Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven opened on the Son of Man. And you're going to see what? Angels ascending. And these, now, Nathaniel was a good Jewish boy. You know what he understood Jesus just called himself? The gate. He just called himself the gate of heaven. He called himself the place where heaven, the opening of heaven. The very gates of hell are that which was formed by sin, your carnal nature. In your life, where does hell get out? In your lower nature. How'd you cause hell in your family? When you threw the Thanksgiving turkey leg across the room? How'd you cause hell in your family? How'd my dad cause hell in my family? Yeah, when he came in drunk, was that in the spirit? When he held guns to my mom's head? When he cleared the icebox and threw over all the food on the wall? Hell was leaking. Now, none of you, you're like, oh, that's, that's hell, all right. But none of you, y'all don't see yourself that bad because we have degrees of darkness. And we have no trouble seeing the degree. But when you pop off and you treat somebody like a scumbag, that's just the gates of hell. He's open to hell. Come on, hell. And you wonder why your relationships are dysfunctional. Because Satan is not going to do anything to bring reconciliation. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, that's the church's job. The ministry of... What? It's like he planned all of this all along. See, hell leaks through your flesh when you get them told, when you say, those are my rights, I got a right to my opinion, and you stomp around, and you, and you clear the place because you didn't get the service you wanted at the restaurant, and that ain't right. I mean, come on, just picture next time that Satan stepping out with a pitchfork and horns. We all do it. You know why I know? Because you got the same flesh I do. You know why? Because I know your daddy. He's Adam, the first. But when we're part of the body of Christ, we're sons. We have the ability to call him our father. And he has given us another spirit, namely his Holy Spirit. And he said the gates of hell will not do what? So what does that tell me? If I get in a fight with you, Lance, one of us is going to win. Now, everybody's already favored him. I know. 
you already said he's going to win. Let me find somebody else. I don't see anybody. I, I would put myself up against some scrawny, oh, we got a little girl here, but I'm afraid she's faster than me. Judah, me and Judah getting a fight. Who's going to win? Y'all know better. You know why? You have no trouble seeing that one is stronger than the other. And you say, there's no way Judah can prevail over you, Andrea. So when I say the gates of hell, wait a minute, when I say the gates of hell will not prevail over the church, what did I just say? Unpack it. But what's not going to win over the church? Oh, your flesh, your lower nature. Your lower nature is going to come under. And the Spirit of God, who has been provided for his bride provisionally to do business in the earth in the way that he would do it, to see the Father, to hear the Father, to follow the Father, and to obey the Father, and represent our groom as his bride, who is perfectly formed to accomplish, look at me, who is perfectly formed and created by God to do what? What was Eve formed for? To do the business that Adam had been called to. Let's finish it up right here. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to teaching them to y'all need to know this. This is what we've we've lost it. We've lost this in the church. Teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. If you're not obsessed with obeying God, I would question discipleship. Disciples obey. Disciples are followers 